To put it in perspective, whilst that sounds terrible, that wasn't as bad as the season of infertility. Isn't right. that interesting? Yeah. That's how strong infertility felt to me. So even when I nearly lost my life, remember I cried out to God, give me children or I die. Um, he had blessed me yeah. with five children. And so in this time of sickness, my spirit became strong. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason and this is the Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. My guest today is Sharon Ward. Sharon is a midwife, a mother of five, and a grandmother of three and counting. Her husband has been a pastor and ministry leader for decades. Originally from the UK, they and their family now reside in Australia. In part one of this episode, Sharon shares how the start of her motherhood journey with the Lord tested her own faith and perspectives through infertility and a long wait for the child she so desperately wanted. What followed were five children in six years, and another test, this time of her own will to live. Hi Sharon, thanks so much for being on the show and um, uh, coming and talking to me this morning about your experience of motherhood, which has um, been quite prolific as the mother of five children. Um, So before we get into all of that detail, um, I'll just ask you, where you were in your faith before you started the motherhood journey? Okay, so at that point, um, we were actually at Bible College, Mm -hmm. and um, so I remember thinking, how will I know when I want to be a mum? Because I was in um, my career at that point as a midwife, and we were busy people, I guess, in that point of building in our lives. And, um, and it wasn't really that I knew how much I wanted to be a mum until we started trying for children. Mm-hmm. And I do remember the trigger there for where we started to try. And then um, it didn't happen the first month. Mm-hmm. And um, because of the kind of person I was, I didn't expect that because I'd been one of those people who everything I'd gone for in life had happened Mm. you know with exams and moves and we'd really done well and prospered and so here was a bit of a shock and I thought well there must be something you know wrong maybe Mm. you know I hadn't ovulated at the right time and so I put it down to that and um and then you know we kept trying for children and three months later I um we still hadn't fallen pregnant and and I started to read up, you know, even though I was a midwife um, and knew a bit about it, I was reading up on a lot of people fall pregnant within that first three months. And and even at that point, I started to panic, thinking, mm. well, what if we can't have children? And then I knew how much I wanted children. Mm. Um, and that became quite a journey for us, um, really, because it was actually a couple of years, which for a lot of people I know wouldn't be a long time to be trying but um, for me that was probably when I look back the hardest time of my life right actually um, Mm -hmm. desperately wanting children and I remember running the streets in the south of England in Boscombe along by the, 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 the shore there crying out to God just bellowing out to God this is not fair 
you, you know, like um, Sarah in the Bible, give me children or I die. I don't mm. want to be alive because all I want is children. I, I don't want to be a midwife. I don't want all those things. I just want children so yeah. badly. Yeah. It was a very deep anguish. And I think anyone who knows that journey of infertility knows the roller coaster. And uh, it's a really hard journey. And look, for us, um, as a couple, we maybe had slight differences on IVF was starting to be formed at that stage. And and Simon was very adamant to not go down that road. But but I was still in that place. No, I'll have children at any cost emotionally, even though I knew that perhaps that wasn't quite true. So it was a hard time. Mm. Yeah, a very hard time. Yeah, Mm. yeah. I know what you mean with the... um with the way it sort of takes over your life Mm. and I mean did you have was it was it part of the plan that you would have five children or was it just at this point you just wanted one yeah no I think look when we married it was in the back of my mind I always thought I'd have two boys Mm -hmm. um but at the point we were trying for children we were at bible college and if you can picture my life I was around babies I was a midwife Mm. I was at bible college everyone was reproducing all around me yeah and, and in those days, infertility was a very private matter as well, mm. which is quite hard for me because I'm not a very private person. Mm. And I remember sharing it with one of our, our, it was a mentor college lecturer, and I remember being in his lounge room and him praying for us to, to have children. Um, but I also remember it being known then that somehow it must have leaked out that we couldn't have children and feeling this incredible shame mm. that I couldn't have children. And it felt like shame, which is a terrible thing to say. Yeah. But that there was something wrong with me. Yeah. Like, why could this not happen? And and look, once um, we, the first time I got pregnant, I did have an early miscarriage. Um, and then I got pregnant with Joe. And then later on, after we'd had four children, we found for some reason ourselves back in this lecturer's lounge room again and at the end of our time with him he prayed and he said Lord can you make it stop because we've had four <laughs> children in four years <laughs> you know and um, and then obviously we went on to have Josh our fifth mm. but it did make me smile I, I feel like God had opened up my womb and, and obviously my longing for children was that great that we didn't take precautions in between. In fact, each child was the next ovulation egg, right. So, which is quite an amazing story. Yeah. Um, they're so close. God gave us quite a, a tribe. Yes. And, yeah. um, and the fact that I struggled so much with that infertility, the positive was it drove an earnestness and a gratefulness in me as a mother mm. when I then had them. And I think looking back, God knew what he was doing. He knew that I would need that in order to survive. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah, and that was certainly the case. Five children um, is a lot to be grateful yes. for. <laughs> Especially <laughs> so close together. It's a bit of a, a sprint. <laughs> I imagine there were a few moments where you thought, I'm not so grateful anymore. <laughs> Just at this moment, yeah. I know, I know. Absolutely. And then you look at their little faces, and that changes. Yeah, but, I, know, um, I know. And and I suppose, you know, when things have been going well, you are lulled into a false sense of control in your own life, aren't you? 
Mm. But you know, a lot of a lot of mums that I've spoken to have lost that sense of control after children have been born. Mm. But it was really taken away from you before. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I and I think that's what dug deep into my life is to know what it feels like to not be in control of something at all. Mm. There was nothing I could really do to actually make this miracle happen. Mm. And that was incredibly hard. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're right. And you travelled with the Lord all through your life? Had it been part of your childhood? Yes, look, I I do remember. For some people it's a journey, and, and certainly there was some of that. But I distinctly remember... At the age of six, I was um, brought up in the Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. And in the army, we had something called a mercy seat that, you know, sometimes when there'd be an appeal to give your life to God, you could come forward to the mercy seat. And I remember at six coming to the mercy seat and crying and just pouring my Mm. heart out that I wanted to have Jesus in my life. And part of that, this is interesting looking back, was... Also, I was crying and this earnestness was in me for my friend Donna to come to the Lord. And I think that at that moment, he put in me a massive desire for evangelism for everyone to know Jesus. Mm. Because for me to know that love, why would I not want to share it? And that was instantaneous um, in that moment. So that's traveled with me throughout my life as well yeah. um, that God so loved the world that that for me it's for that all might come to him mm. that that is his heart that everyone that he's created would know him because he is so exceedingly good mm. why would and he is irresistible why would people not want to know him mm. So I've always carried that. Yeah, mm. that's the first miracle, isn't it? People mm. actually believing in God. It's yes. funny how it yes. actually takes a miracle. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I've often wondered about that too, because there have been points where I've been, I felt really compelled to pray for someone mm. and not known why, or, you know, it's not necessarily a person that I even know well, yes. but just suddenly desperate for them, yes. you know, yes, to, absolutely. to know. Yes. Yeah, mm. I th- I've, I've often wondered if, if that's a... A thing that's given to you, if, if you know, God says, "I need you to pray for this person oh, now." Absolutely, and I think that's part of that. He's He's made us all unique, that we might reach all people, mm. and so there's different gifts that are inherently deep in us, yeah. and 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 it's just recognizing and recognize them, and say thank you, God, for them, you mm. know, and and allow them to flow. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And so your heart at this point was really exposed um, in a new way after mm. this. You've, you know, you've had a, quite a, a, a long journey with the Lord all through your life up to this point, mm. and you've now had an opportunity to learn things about yourself that you didn't know were there. Mm. <laughs> Do you look back on that as a blessing now? It was a horrible time. Mm. It was. It was really, and so. My heart often prays for people if I see couples you know, in the church or elsewhere, and I have a hunch that they might be longing for children, and I secretly pray for them Mm. because I will never forget how hard that was. Mm. Um, And, you know, for me, that that began a journey that that took a while to have closure on it for Mm. for me to regain strength. And and God, God taught me a lot through it because when I first had Joe, we moved to a completely different area in the UK, away from family again and in a very expensive area so that was challenging 
Um, and Joe was nine days old when we moved. And there we were in the house. We mm-hmm. didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been filled with anxiety during my pregnancy, which is often a repercussion of infertility right. because you overthink things yeah. and you can worry. And that anxiety continued in that first six months of his life and it presented as a kind of OCD anxiety about germs wanting to protect him I'd been a pediatric nurse I'd seen children die of things Mm. like meningitis and cancer and and some of that started to surface and eat away at me Um, and so that was that was challenging as well and and I guess I just wanted to close in at home and sulk to be honest I really didn't want to go out um, which was challenging because I'm not an introvert I'm an Mm. extrovert so that that was really hard and I visited a couple of churches Simon was away a lot um, but I found it hard and it wasn't till one day this um, this pastoral worker came over and visited me and I remember making her the most terrible cup of tea. I don't know why I remember that. It was so lukewarm and and weak. And I remember her face when she looked at it. Mm. But that spoke to me as well. Is that how I was behaving? Lukewarm. And she said to me, I just remember it was a very plain thing of like, it was really like you need to kind of get over yourself and get out there which is not something we should all say to people you know but sometimes that those kind of words rock you into action Mm. and it did and Mm. and I started over the next few months to to really overcome that anxiety OCD and and have never looked back Mm. I've often smiled when I've remembered it because I'm quite the opposite now yeah um but it was very real. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, Sometimes you yeah. actually need someone to speak courage and sense yes. into your life, don't yes, you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's nice to have sympathy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, to have someone say... Because it's almost like they believe in you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can do it. It will be all right. And you think, well... If, That's right. If they think that, then... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what alternative do you have? You know, you... You've got to get up again. Well, that's right. You know, the last three years have taught us all anything yeah, yeah. that we have to get on, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. No one else is going to do that for you. You've got to get up again, um, and and I did. And then I found myself pregnant with Ben, and then we had Ben. And at this point, Simon was travelling quite a lot with Scripture mm-hmm. Union. So going to church, we I eventually found this little church that was only like two streets away. And I hadn't gone to it for a while because, interestingly, I'd been on a bus um, with Joe and I'd heard the people in front of me say as we went past the church, oh, that's a cult. And so <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It wasn't yeah. a cult at all. <laughs> but it stopped me going there and it was probably the obvious place to go. So I went along to the church and and started to feel loved and involved. It was a small community church. Um, Then I had Ben and I had Abby. So it really started to multiply. And then came the new challenge of church because it was a small church. You know, I would go along with the children and you try managing three children on your own, Mm. you know, when there's no one there. And I I remember being, you know, in in the the rows of chairs and people in front of me kind of tutting because I couldn't keep my children controlled. (gasps) 
That's helpful. <laughs> because they were very active children, mm. all of them. Yeah. And so, you know, one, yes, two, possibly, but three, mm. it was just too much. Yeah. Um, so I'd end up going out to the creche for the whole service and, and thinking, I'm not so sure what the point is of coming, really, yeah. because this is really challenging. But I knew that I had something to give and that the church needed to hear something about my heart. So... Um, I remember at some point after I'd had the three at a church meeting speaking up and saying, um, look, I really want to belong to your church. You, you need to know I, I love this place, but this is my challenge. I feel sometimes Simon's away so much. Why do I come? Because mm. I end up going to the creche, not hearing the sermon. There weren't, you know, sermons weren't live broadcasted in those days. No. That was it. And it wasn't so easy to get hold of Christian material. Um, and I said, look, I, I just, and they said, well, what would help? Mm. And I said, you know, what would really help is to not feel shamed by people tutting, but for people yeah. to help me. And they did. They started to help me. Right. Yeah. And, um, and it actually transformed the church. Mm. So speaking up graciously about your needs can be a very powerful mm. thing that God can use to change an environment. Isn't it amazing that you had mm. to actually ask a church to help you? <laughs> but but <I> no. <laughs> but then again, you know, sometimes when we look at other people, we don't see what's really going on. Maybe they thought they were helping by sort of, you know, um, you know, sometimes people frown at your children when you tell them off to try and Mm. unify with you yes that's a step absolutely yes, what we don't yes. do children you know yes yes I, I don't know maybe I'm being too generous but mm. you know sometimes we just people try and help and they don't help in the right way yes that's right and yeah. we're all on a learning curve and church is on a learning curve as well it was very different back then 30 years ago to what it is today mm. but we're we're all learning together mm. and I think sometimes speaking up um can be a helpful thing to do mm. so so that was good and then we had um megan and um and then we had josh and and you know that was a busy life and yeah mm, five mm. children in five years i want to just go back a little bit and talk to you about fear mm. <clears throat> because i mean you've you've gone through you've had a miscarriage mm. and that that changes the way you view things significantly mm. Um, and then you know this this long wait, and then anxiety. Um, what effect did you find that fear was having on your faith? At that point, I mean, it's affecting your daily life, obviously. Yes. But your relationship with God, did you find it easier to talk to God when you were afraid, or harder? It's interesting, isn't it? I think in those hard times, Tanya, that you're saying, is that it was hard to pray when I was hurting, and when I was afraid. Um, because everything felt screwed up and 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 I suppose in that I felt angry with God and angry with myself angry that I couldn't do anything about it because mm. I was always a problem solver that mm. you can do something to change things but yes. it had really and a midwife if anyone can generate babies it yes should be you. That, that's exactly <laughs> right it's actually not logical but yeah so it it, it was it was hard and I just remember feeling flat and frustrated and and I didn't want to read the stories about Job. I didn't want those. Mm. I wanted to that there to be positive stories that had happy endings, you know, mm. fairy tale stories. And and yet I wasn't living in those. And it was it was a very, very hard time. Mm. And 
And I think that having it drawn out for a while is that God did teach me a lot. And and certainly he taught me to be still enough to have empathy with others, that mm-hmm. everyone's life isn't buoyant and joyful and happy, that there are hard times. Mm-hmm. And to just give people space in those times that the answer isn't always, we just need to pray harder or... Is it, is it something that you have done? You know, mm. it's not, stuff happens, yeah. doesn't it? You That's know, a hard the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. Stuff stuff happens in our, our lives. And, and sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. Mm. And it just sucks. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was, it was hard in those times to pray, for sure. That's mm. one that comes up a lot of, mm. of someone saying, what did you do? to make this happen yes, you know what, yes. why, why is God punishing you yes and actually right. the longer I work with walk with God the more I think that that punishment actually oh, absolutely. never comes yes it's, there are things that happen and there's there's learning mm. but I mean I, absolutely there, you, and there was a lot of that kind of teaching in the church in those days whereas today I don't think so so much but it's real ouch it's like talk about kick someone when they're down mm. and God has a loving heart he's a generous heart and for sure he wants us to learn things on the way and for sure I learned a lot in that journey and um and I am grateful to him. It's a hard use to, word to use, isn't mm. it? Because I wasn't grateful for what I went through. But I'm, I am grateful still for the journey of how I came out the other side. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And also, you don't ever really want to say, especially for people who are in a time of suffering, that, that suffering is worthwhile. Mm. Because you know, there's some suffering that I, even now to think about certain scenarios I think I I don't know if I would survive that kind of suffering absolutely but by the same token what I have survived Mm. has made me a better servant absolutely and a better person yes absolutely yeah Mm. Mm. yeah Mm. and so um now we've got um these five children and very close together and so you're under a lot of physical strain Mm. and I know that 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 reveals new and interesting facets of our personality. <laughs> and um, you, you said in your notes that, that before the children, you had, when you look back, you saw yourself as more of a selfish and self-centered sort of person. But children taught you, they revealed God to you, and, and how much love that he has for us was revealed to you through your children. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk a little bit more about how God was revealed to you through your children. You've actually used Psalm 145.8 you've, you've given me here. and The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And since we've been talking about fear, I was curious about anger because I, my children sometimes inspire <laughs> a significant anger in me. And I wonder, that's been a growing experience for my faith. I wonder if you've had experiences around dealing with anger and um, those sorts of things, being a mum. Do you want to talk about... Probably not. Anger's not a big thing for me. Not particularly. That's a good thing. No, no, no. I think so. Just we're all different, really, aren't we? It's Um, just you quoted that psalm. Exhaustion. Yes. Yeah, exhaustion. (laughs) That would be. Um, You know, it's... um, You just mentioned sort of teaching them how to behave and then reflecting it back on yourself how to yes. how do I behave yes absolutely yeah. I, I do remember one and how you respond to misbehavior as well yes absolutely I mean isn't it challenging hey you can you can draw a horse to water but you can't make them drink can you and it's mm. the same with children I 
I remember very, uh, Joe, at a very young age when he was trying to go for a socket on the wall and I said to him no and there was that look in his face oh, yeah. of defiance and, oh, can I test this water out? Mm. To, I mean, it's evidence to me of the fall. It, it's in us, isn't mm. it? Mm. None of us want to behave, if we're honest. No. <laughs> Some of us don't enjoy it. My youngest smiles at me when yeah. she knows she's about to do something naughty. Yeah, you can absolutely. see it, the joy on her face. Oh, you know? Absolutely, I know. And so, and, and so I vividly remember how that was. And I remember one evening when um, we finally, we'd got the boys in the top room and the girls were in one bed in another room and... Josh was in another room so it was a busy time in our life and getting the children to bed was honestly like being in the military mm. trying to you know one after the other in the bath bath is a big thing in England mm. so you know bath story prayers bed and I remember sitting outside their room upstairs with the door shut and thinking Lord why will they not do what they are told mm. just this exasperation Lord why won't they do what they're told and inside of me, as often is with God, straight away, it's because, well, would you? Do you do what you're told? Mm. You know, do you always do what you're told? And yeah. I thought, no, that's the children teach us amazing mm. lessons, don't they? Mm. Of the fatherhood of God and His um, unconditional, His 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 lavish love for us, mm. and how He just keeps on and keeps on. Because that's what it feels like as a mum sometimes, doesn't it? You, oh, yeah. you know, every day. That's a yeah. It's a never-ending rotation, isn't it? Absolutely. Just... Groundhog Day. Here we go oh, again. I said that. To, <laughs> I said that to Ben the other day. I feel like I'm in Groundhog Day. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And and you know, I think one of the things he knows is when we look at them at night and they're asleep. They're mm. They just ooze that angelic, you mm. know, that, and that appreciation and our reflection on the day. Mm. Um, it just all is so worthwhile, mm. but um, but definitely exhausting. And if you can picture me in England in this tiny little house, and the bath was um, is deeper than Australian baths for mm. sure, but quite narrow, and it filled from wall to wall. Mm-hmm. And so I had to actually open and keep the door ajar, wide open, in order to go in because the bath filled half the bathroom and then the other half was just a tiny bit of carpet carpet in the bathroom yeah that's right that's novel for Australians (laughs) and so I could literally put one in take them put the take them out dry them I'd I'd have two or three children in there Mm. at the time but it was like a conveyor belt Mm. of bathing the children and getting them dry um it was a it was a busy time Mm. and then they would always have stories and we would always pray Mm. with each child as well um, but busy, busy, busy time. Mm. And I suppose, too, especially in the past, you know, just sort of washing hairs and, and getting one out and drying hair and things like that. I mean, you're having to, I imagine you would have at some point said a prayer along the lines of, please don't let them drown while I'm cleaning this one yes, up. Yes, keep my children alive. Yeah. Please God, you know. Yeah. I did develop eyes in the back of my head. Then I remember being in the kitchen and the children one of them saying to me, how can you see what we're doing? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I telling them I had you. eyes in the back of my head and I remember Ben pushing my hair across <laughs> one day just to check. <laughs> there, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's... Um, you yes. do start to f- sort of feel them though, don't yes, you? Yes, you do. You get a mm. sense of where they're going to go and what their, mm. what their <laughs> tendencies are. <laughs> And I never forgot a child in yet. I'm proud of that. But, you know, I'd count them when they were in the car. Yeah. <laughs> 
I always had a yearning for, you know, the day, and we have to be careful of this, of wishing away the years, but that they could all put their own seatbelts on, yes. you know, and, yeah. and put their own shoes and socks on, that kind of thing. But, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I've often reprimanded myself for that, thinking, oh, I wish you would just grow up a bit. Stop being such a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then thinking you're going to, when they leave... Yes, that's right. You're going to be sorry that you wished that time And away. they do. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Uh, At this point, um, you've been through quite a lot already, Mm. and um, you're possibly getting into, I imagine, routine. You would have had to have routines. Oh, absolutely. There's no no freestyle parenting here. One of my best friends was in the military. That was very helpful. Right. Because we simulated together, yes. Okay. I had a friend who was in the army, and he was younger than me, and I said to him, you know, are you going to... You're gonna have um, you're gonna have kids with your missus, and and he said no, not at all. Oh, it sounds awful. And I said, but you're in the army. You've been on, you know, you've been in some serious action. And he said no, but children are relentless. <laughs> so when you're in the army, you know it's gonna end. <laughs> and some of it's different styles of parenting. That was how I saw survival. Like we were never late. Mm. Can you believe it? You know, we'd be at things and yeah. people would go along with one child and they'd be late. Yeah. It, and some of that's just a different personality, different style. We were never late for anything. Mm. Oh, no, if I said we were going to be at the house, we would be there. So yeah. the children did learn to do a lot for themselves right. because if not, they were consequented. They, yeah. They'd go out without the trousers on. or yeah. you know. <laughs> Tough luck. <laughs> In England too, it's not like in oh. Brisbane without your trousers on, which is a normal state of being. I know, absolutely, I remember picking up um, oh, one of my girls from from um, kindy once, and it was snow on the ground, and she was absolutely she wasn't going to put a coat on. I thought, well, all right then. Right, yeah, you've got to we'll, learn. We'll go home without a coat yeah. on. <laughs> Bet she didn't do it again. <laughs> Isn't it? In, in, well, there is a perfect little little story there how we have sometimes we have to learn mm. through suffering that's right <laughs> um, so you've you've been through all of this and I've, I was probably by now you're starting to feel like you're getting a handle on things mm-hmm. um and then oh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and then you you get sick it's actually you mm. and you know we all are terrified that something's going to happen to our children and f- for me also you know maybe for others you think, what, what will I do if there's something that happens to my spouse? Mm. But I must admit, I've maybe thought once mm. about what, what would happen to the family if I wasn't there, mm. and you had to then yes. deal with that. So yes. talk to us about what happened there. I remember the day that I was 29 years old, and I remember I was riding my bike and thinking, something doesn't feel right in my women's well in my vagina I'm a midwife so I'm just going to spell things out you know (laughs) (laughs) and it feels really quite uncomfortable Mm. and so I'd been to my GP and oh no no there's nothing wrong and I knew there was something wrong Mm. we're just like a heavy weight like I had a tampon kind of half hanging out of me and so it wasn't really diagnosed for a while what was wrong with me and and it had um I had some urinary incontinence my bowel was really affected as well and um you know I couldn't go to the toilet properly and everything was very uncomfortable in that area and it was 
it was quite a horrible journey mm. and a lot wasn't known about this in those days about prolapse mm. and, in, and in fact I had cutting a long story short I had some prolapse of the bladder the uterus and the bowel and so um, my body felt quite a wreck and I remember feeling this despair thinking I'm 29 years old yeah I'm still so young I thought that this was something that happened to old ladies yeah you know um, having to wear a pad you know have you ever had that thing when you you're trying to get in the front door and you can't find the key and you just start weaving yourself (laughs) (laughs) and and it was really awful Mm. Um, and again very private in those days it Mm. wasn't something that you met with a friend for coffee and say look I've got this issue you know well even now I think you'd be cagey about sharing it because it was it was really tricky and what was hard hard as well is was hard to get a diagnosis of of what was going on and so I journeyed from from doctor to doctor up to London having scans and really nothing much coming from it. I'd be passed from gynae to urinary mm. to bowel and they were all different areas you see of expertise yeah. so it was hard to bring it all together and it's a very hard thing to diagnose because of how you can feel that and the tests that can be done. Mm. Now today a lot is more is known about that and there's amazing support groups um, which really help women to navigate who, which doctors to go to to, mm-hmm. to get things diagnosed. So anyway, in the end, I did, um, I had actually in that area, I had five different surgeries, which is a, a long story, but um, I ended up going to, to London to the, the, the hospital, the Elizabeth Garrett and Anderson Hospital for Women, which mm-hmm. has a long history to it. And there was a, a doctor there who had much more of a special interest in this area. So he hoisted up my uterus and... Look, that helped a bit, but not extensively, having that surgery, and that was disappointing. Mm. Um, and then I had some surgery on my perineum to refashion it because I really didn't have anything to sit on, particularly right, yeah. because of the damage from childbirth, um, which I didn't know about at the time. And look, I was a midwife. Mm. you think I would know more than most. So I had an operation there, and that operation went horribly wrong. Mm. And looking back... When I went in, a friend who took me in, she said to me afterwards, I didn't want to leave you, Sharon. I was really concerned. She had that deep hunch. How do you speak into that with people? That's very hard, and it's great in hindsight, Mm. isn't it? So that that surgery left me, um, after I came out of surgery, I knew I wasn't well. I could feel vessels spurting inside of me. Right. And I was telling them, and it wasn't a particularly massive surgery I had done. It would be under minor surgeries. So they weren't watching for things, and my blood pressure had gone low. There were lots of vital signs, and the most horrendous thing, I was in excruciating pain. Mm. And um, busy time on the ward in the NHS. I know what it is to be busy. Um, but they just kept fobbing me off. And I remember Simon saying to them, look, my wife's had five children with no pain relief. Surely she knows what pain is. You know, she delivered these very large babies. This is the pain that she's having now. I've never seen her in. So they ended up getting the pain-controlled nurse out, put me on a PCA, some endone to, you know, Mm. IV to numb the pain, which sent me into la-la land and certainly distracted me from the pain. But I was bleeding really badly. And um, they they had obviously taken some blood and 
um, my HB had come back and it was in, from I remember it was like, I think it was in the late 40s, it was very, very low. Mm. So it was an emergency. What is it, no, what is it normally? It should be over 100, right. so it was low. <laughs> um, and look, transfusional level would be, certainly if it was under 70. Okay. Um, so they rushed me to theatre and I had bled inside the size of a big baby. My body right. was just pouring blood. Um, so they had to kind of put me back together and I had 11 units of blood. Um, and I remember air hungering and starting to go unconscious. And, and in that time as well, I remember feeling like, Lord, I, I think I'm going to come and be with you. Like, I, I wasn't mm. expecting this. I thought I actually was going to die. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd say there was a possibility that I could have died. Right. It was really quite a, a difficult situation. Um, as they rushed me to theatre, I remember God speaking in my heart and saying, Sharon, you can't leave Simon with five young children. You have to fight for him. Like, would you want to be left? Mm. You have to fight. And something in my spirit fought. And I remember the doctor came into me and I said to him, as they were putting the cannulas in, through this half-conscious state, I said to him, I want to live. Mm. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> And I did, and I came through, and it was not a quick recovery. Mm. It was a long recovery um, afterwards, um, and and I still have the morbidity of this all these years later. So that was in right. the year two thousand. Um, so all these years later, I still have a lot of issues from scar tissue and things that you wouldn't want to know on this podcast that I have to do to my body in order for it to function right. and so but you know I I really believe that it's not illness illness can do things to us but my spirit became strong mm. and my spirit is strong and it allowed me to, I think with God pouring into me to overcome and to navigate a very rich life mm. which I still do today mm. um, yeah so mm. I'm shy of having surgery now I mean I could <laughs> have more surgery but in that area I think it, it's a last resort so I'm hoping you know each year I go through that I can travel and not have to have more surgery yeah um, so yeah, it was, it, was, it was a difficult time, and a difficult time for Simon as well, because he had to learn how to navigate some work, mastering looking after these children, because for a long time I really couldn't get up or do anything. I was mm. so sick. Mm. Um, and there's that mental trauma that comes with that as mm. well. And, and then we really became aware deeply of the spiritual world in this, mm -hmm. of the role of Satan, mm -hmm. of actually wanting to take us and destroy mm. us. And so we learn how to fight in that realm too. And I think for us in that same time, that gift of, of tongues, of speaking in that spiritual language came, you know, when it says that we, we talk in words that we cannot express, you know, mm. that the spirit yearns. I think that's a part of that language that God can give us. Mm. And, um, and that became really evident because I didn't know how to use words, but there was a groaning inside of me mm. of, Lord, keep me alive and help me to become strong again. Mm. To put it in perspective, whilst that sounds terrible, that wasn't as bad as the season of infertility. Isn't right. that interesting? Yeah. That's how strong infertility felt to me. So even when I nearly lost my life, remember I cried out to God, give me children or I die. 
um, he had blessed me with five children. And so in this time of sickness, my spirit became strong. I Mm. I was strong, but infertility, I wasn't in infertility. Mm. It was really hard. Mm. Mm. So he really has prepared you for, Mm. for, you know, really many things that you could not possibly have foreseen through that season. Yes, yes. And seeing all of this, I think for people who know me now or would meet me now, I, I'm not somebody who goes on about illness. I'm mm. a really buoyant, bubbly person who's yeah. full of life and has done incredible things in mm. my life. Mm. So I've just learned to navigate life yeah. because of it. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. In part two of my conversation with Sharon, we discuss how praying and trusting God in times of scarcity builds on our faith in Him and our spirit of innovation. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with Him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.